Yeah, it is better one day in God's house than a thousand days anywhere else. Amen to that. Um, the, in the guys' small group, uh, we're going through a book called The Practice of Godliness. And um, it's talking about how to live a godly life. And the chapter we were discussing was talking about humility. Now, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I need to be humble. And I'm sure many of you feel the same way, that, man, I don't, I don't deserve God's goodness. I don't deserve to be praised for anything that I've ever done. But then we started talking about Jesus' humility. And it just boggled my mind. Like, I, I, I still have trouble wrapping around the fact of why did Jesus choose to be humble because he, he didn't have to be. Listen to this passage from Philippians chapter 2. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He didn't have to. He could have just chilled in heaven and accepted praise from all the angels. Because that's what they were doing. They were busy just praising him. That's what he deserved. But he gave that all up. He decided to humble himself. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We're going to be taking communion right now. And that's part of what this is. It's every tongue confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. When you come and take communion, yes, part of it is a reminder Just like we had a reminder yesterday of love that we have for each other. This is a reminder of what Jesus came and did for us. But not only is it a reminder, it's also a proclamation. When you get up here and take this communion, you're saying to everyone else that's sitting there, this is real for me. I believe that Jesus came and died for my sins And that he rose the third day. That he was the perfect sacrifice. And I have made him Lord of my life. No one else comes before him. So I challenge you as you think about communion this morning. Yes, think about it as a reminder. But also think about it as a proclamation. Paul reminds us of that. In 1 Corinthians he says, Whenever you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So when you take it this morning, take it seriously. And think, hey, when I come up here, I am proclaiming Jesus. I am saying that he is my Lord, that he is my Savior, and no one else comes before him. We've got three tables, two on the side and one right in front of me. And feel free in as the next two songs are playing, to come up when you're ready. If you need a little bit of extra time to, to sit and examine yourself, to talk to God, to square things away, to talk to somebody else, get things right, do it. And then come, partake, remember, and proclaim. God, we're just thankful for your humility.
thankful, God, for the fact that you gave up every right you had. Every right you had to accept praise and worship from angels, from us in heaven. God, you gave that all up and humbled yourself so that we could be free. And this morning, we just want to say thank you for that, God. And as we take this communion, God, let it be personal and and let it be real. God, let us take it remembering what you've done for us and proclaiming that we have made you Lord of our life to everyone else in this room. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, welcome to church this morning. Uh, I really, I should say, welcome church this morning, because church isn't a building, it's people. And uh, we have all the swimmers here today. If you can swim, you made it to church today, and if you can't, you're uh, relegated to listening online this week, I guess. Um, isn't God good just providing us some much-needed rain here? It's awesome to, to have you guys here with us. Um, I want to invite Cal Cummins and Jim Cook up right now to the front. And uh, we've, we've been in process with these guys, as you, as you know, if you've been attending here for any length of time. And I want you guys to just give them a welcome here. Come on up, guys. And uh, I just want you to see their good-looking faces here. Um, I have to say that because Jim's a lot bigger than me and he can take me out. Um, listen, we've just been in a process with, uh, with Jim and with Kel, and uh, a part of that process was just wanting to hear from the congregation, and um, I just want to give you an update on that. Uh, it was just overwhelming support that, um, that they are shepherds, and we just want to officially acknowledge that this morning um, and lay hands on them and, and pray for them. And uh, what's great about it is this. I was on a bike ride with my son uh, yesterday, and um, my dad, who's a former elder at another church, we're riding along just talking about the Lord and, and church leadership and all kinds of stuff. And he's like, well, Dad, what does an elder do? And how much do you get paid? You know, and he wanted, he wanted the ends on it. You know? And so we just got to talk about it a little bit. And um, these two men and myself, we're, we're here to serve you. And we want to we be a model of servant leadership, which is what Jesus Christ was all about, and continue to shepherd you. And um, we will let you know in advance that we will fail you because we're fallible human beings. Um, just ask our wives. And, um, and yet we're going to be here to, to serve you and to love you and, and to build you up and to shepherd you and care for you. And uh, I'm just thrilled. We have a, an, an amazing time together, the three of us, as we meet and pray. Kurt Jones, just so you know, is still uh, periodically kind of coming in, and uh, he's really helping us out in some missions area and whatnot, but he's really devoting all of his attention now back to Valley Church. And um, so I just want to lay hands on these guys, pray for them, and I want to challenge you and invite you as a congregation, pray for us. Be lifting up your leaders. And um, we're to lead with diligence. That's, that's the word, because it's easy to quit. It's easy to get tired, and it's easier to, uh, to, to fall away from that. So we would covet your prayers as we move forward with this. And we also want to let you know that this isn't the end. We're not building an eldership of three. We want to continue to train up shepherds and... Um, and it says in the, in the scriptures that to aspire to the office of elder, eldering is a, is a noble thing. It's a noble task. And so our prayer is that uh, generations of, of elders would be trained up under us. And um, so that's what we're praying about. Let me say a word of prayer and then we'll continue on. <clears throat> God, thank you for, uh, for loving us. I thank you for the tangible representation of your love that never fails us uh, in in this bread and in this juice that we just took and, and ate, Father. And I thank you for the reminder it is of the, the price that you paid to free us and to allow us to come and, and have something to celebrate, Lord. We hope in you. And I just as this is a warm place this morning to come in out of the cold, so is your love and so is your body to be for each one of us. I thank you, Lord, for Kel and for Jim. Thank you, God, for the way that you've led and worked in their life and led them to this place of leadership, of taking up a towel as you did and washing the feet of people. I thank you, God, how in this process you've revealed character that we didn't even know about going in. And um, we pray, Lord, that the three of us would continue to humbly 
listen closely to you, follow hard after you, and be an example, Lord, for others to follow as we follow Christ. Lord, we, um, we just commission these two guys to, to, to minister here in this neighborhood. There are many people in this city that, that aren't yet a part of this fold, Lord, that, that you have on, on us to, to be about telling and roping in and inviting in and ushering into the kingdom of God. And I pray that you would give Jim and Kel boldness and courage and diligence, Lord. I pray protection over their household and their families. And uh, as their strategic members, Lord, in, in, in this body and what we're trying to do here. We thank you, God, for working through us in our weakness. We thank you that you didn't choose the wise or the strong or those who have much status in the world, Lord. But, but you choose and appoint according to how you see and by looking at the heart. And we just praise you for um, this church, this this group of believers, and we give you this morning in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right. All right. Thanks, you guys. <clears throat> well, that is exciting. It's exciting for us. One of the distinctions that we had uh, several years ago as we met with the, the elders of Family Bible Church was that we really prayerfully desired that, uh, that a, a body would rise up here and that God would provide leadership and provide um, just the, the right people to, to, to move this work forward. And um, that's just been a, a fun thing to do. I'm going to invite you to open up your Bibles to John chapter 10 this morning. And um, we have a little bit of a shortened time uh, just due to communion, which I just love. It was so great to just, just family time. There's just hugs going on. And um, sometimes, I mean, just like Ben mentioned Valentine's Day and you know, sometimes a, a date might be kind of quiet and subdued, and sometimes it might be just gregarious and fun. And I think communion ought to be that same way, that sometimes it ought to be really solemn and really reflective. And I want to just give freedom in this place. Uh, if you want to fall on your knees and worship God, you know that's biblical. Do it. Don't care about what people think around you. Don't wonder if that's protocol here at Neighborhood Bible Church. If you want to stand and raise your hands, do it and just give praise to God. As I'm sitting back there, I'm just thinking about, as we're singing, we exalt thee. And just thinking about how we ought to be giving our absolute very best in this. And sometimes I just don't. And I just go, Lord, forgive me. How could I, get, how could I be thinking about all, Almighty God and let my mind switch over to plans after church? Switch over to some silly care about this week. I just go, Lord, forgive me of that. And draw my heart in, draw my focus in. And to realize that right now I was sitting back in the back of the room just, just listening to you guys and, and enjoying this time and thinking that right now all around the world in hundreds of languages and in tons of different cultural ways, People are crying out. People are staying silent. People are prostrate on the ground in worship of Jesus that we're about to talk about. So I don't want to be flipping about it as we just read another story about Jesus and kind of look at his life a little bit and kind of draw a couple of good practical tools to make it through the week. But rather to realize this isn't, this isn't a person that, that lived a long time ago and is a part of our history past but that there's a real being right now on a real throne. And there are these angelic beings that if we saw them in person, we would fall down as if dead. And they're just shouting out praise to Jesus. All day long. All night long. That's what they're doing. And when we do what we just did, thanks, band, you are, you are joining in with this chorus that's already going on in heaven. And then as Ben mentioned, the whole, just the tangible element of Jesus leading all of that to come and to say, I love you. And I'm going to come on a rescue mission for you. And, and that's what we're in the middle of. That's what the Gospel of John is all about. Recording these events of when this short, you know, 33 or so years that God put on human skin and came and dwelt among us. And that's what we're going to talk about some more this morning. So I just want to set just this cosmic kind of overall setting before we march in and, and just another week of kind of learning from the scriptures and reading another little chunk of the Bible. So um, anyway, that's where we're at. As, we, as we're marching through here, we still have a, a bunch of the book left. We're only in chapter 10, and yet the way John records it, he's really winding up the public ministry of Jesus right now. It's starting to wind down his... 
his time with, with being out in the, in the public and being in the limelight is really waning. And part of that, as you'll see, is because it's not even safe for him to move around anymore. There's kind of like a price on his head. He can't just freely go about. And, um, and he kind of ends with a bang here, just as we, as we thought he would. I want to just kind of recap of what Jesus has been up to these last three years. We're kind of winding down the final few months, and John takes a lot of time, more than about half the book almost, to kind of wind down these last few months of his life, and, and they're the important parts, of course. But here's what's on Jesus' resume. Here's what he's been up to, preaching the good news, right? Just going around telling people about the good news. We call it the gospel. And say, guess what? God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, and I want to show you the way. That's what he's been doing. He's also been calling people to repent, which repent just means turn. It means turn away from your life of sin. Turn from following false teachers. Turn from following your own ways. Turn to God. He's been calling people to repent. He's been confronting hypocrisy and false religion. That's what all these confrontations are about. Confrontation after confrontation because he speaks the truth. He must be speaking in love, but he's speaking the truth in love to these people. And it's, it's confrontational. Because they're being hypocrites. And false religion is the work of the enemy. It's leading people away from God. So he's confronting that. He's also just instructing and preparing his disciples. Other gospels, it's just great to read these in tandem with Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Because you get to see uh, filled out portions of, of a story that you may pick up in John. But get to see more instruction about it. But I love these little snapshots where Jesus is teaching in a parable. And it's as if he got up and just taught some people a story. And then the disciples go... Okay, what did that all mean? So he'd pull them aside and say, here's what this guy represents, and here's what the seed represents. And they go, oh, okay, we got it. Well, he's prepping them. They don't really know this yet, but he's prepping them because he is, he is giving away this ministry into these hands of these mostly young guys, these 12, one of whom is going to betray. And, and from, those, from those 12, really, the gospel is going to go forth and be what it is today. So he's, he's working with them. He's living with them, walking with them, instructing them. Finally, and this is the thing I don't want us to miss. This is what this passage really centers on this morning. Jesus is performing countless miracles and signs all along the way. I just read again uh, this week about this first of the signs that he performs at the wedding in Cana. And we covered that weeks ago. But this was just the, the very first public, public sign that just said, God's here. And this is supernatural. And, and, and since that time, all these miracles have been going on. One chapter prior, he's opened the eyes of a blind man. It says elsewhere in scripture that we, we couldn't even write down everything that Jesus did. If I wrote everything that went on, it would just, it would fill volumes and volumes. I could never possibly do it. Meaning that he just, as he went, you can just see it in the scriptures that signs and miracles are being performed. Here's kind of the big idea that I want you to, to, to get from this morning. And um, knowing it was rainy and you might be a little tired from Valentine's Day, I just filled in the blanks for you. So we're keeping it real simple this morning. I made it really easy for you. But if you look at your outline in, in the bulletin, I have three, three things. And I don't tend to like to necessarily start everything with the same letter, but God just wanted it this way uh, this week. But there are, there are kind of these three things that we're going to see in John chapter 10, this second half, that are just a part of believing in Jesus. Believing in Jesus consists of confrontation, confirmation, and care. And I want to just show that to you from the scriptures here. What I want to do is hopefully blow apart the myth that somehow getting saved and being a Christian, here's what it consists of. I raised my hand at a prayer meeting when the guy said, did you accept Jesus? I filled out a card and I prayed a prayer. And that's it. Now, is, is it true that all it takes to be saved is believing in Jesus Christ? The answer is, simply put, absolutely. That's the beauty of it. That's, the, that's grace in action. But to think that somehow that is the totality of the relationship and that it somehow ends there is the same as if the day you get married, you say, does getting married mean you say, I do? Yes, it does. But that's like saying, I do, and then never talking to the person again, never being with the person again. And 26 years later, like, I'm celebrating my 26th anniversary. Fantastic. Where's your wife? I haven't got a clue. 
I said, I do. I prayed a prayer back there. It was like something, it was like in the 70s or something. Billy Graham rolled through town. And you go, what? That's totally bizarre. Well, that's what Jesus says about him being the groom and our, and the church, us being the bride. It's that kind of relationship. And so believing in Jesus consists of way more than just filling out a card and praying a prayer. And I want to, I want to illuminate that for you, or at least stretch your thinking on that a little bit. Let's look in John chapter 10, starting in verse 22, and we're just going to cover through the rest of the chapter here this morning, but we'll take it in little bits. John 10, 22 says this. <clears throat> then came the feast of dedication. That's Hanukkah, so we call it today. Then came the feast of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple area walking in Solomon's colonnade. Kind of the setting for this is, is that this is Hanukkah season. And Hanukkah is really a celebration of a revolt that took place. This temple for the Jews was desecrated and it was taken from them. And Hanukkah really celebrates the overthrow of that and reinstating the temple and, and into its proper place. And so it was very, it was a very uh, politically charged and national identity charged kind of celebration. And so just kind of the, the, the scene or the setting here is that there's just tension. Um, I was thinking about, you know, things like, you know, a, a gathering to, to, uh, to discuss or, or think about this BART officer in Oakland. You know, the authorities there are just going to recognize this is a powder keg. We better just gear up for this and kind of prep for this because this could get ugly really, really quickly. And that's kind of what this is. It's a, it's a really emotional thing. And, and Jerusalem is like, you know, New York City. It's just, it's like the hub. It's the center. Of all of this. And so this is, this is where these comments are being taken place. And again, because we don't think about the Feast of Dedication very often as primarily Gentiles in this room, we just don't get that. And so we might miss some of the, some of the reality here. The mood of the Jews and the Romans was, was nothing short of just flammable. Like it could just explode at any minute. I almost used the title, um, Jesus Almost Gets Stoned at Hanukkah, but I just didn't know if it would might get lost in translation a little bit. People might not understand that. Um, but as we're going to see, they're, they're picking up rocks to throw at Jesus to kill him. That's where we're going with this. That's what this passage talks about. And that's a really big deal, and that's really, really serious. I told you we'd have three things. Here's the, here's the first thing I just want you to see, looking in verse 24, is that confrontation comes with believing in Jesus Christ. It just does. And I said this was kind of a powder keg. Listen to these inflammatory remarks that Jesus just kind of tosses into the mix of everything. Look, read with me in, uh, in 24. The Jews gathered around him saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. Let me pause there for a minute. The way NIV translates this is it says the Jews gathered around him. Well, that could be a picnic, right? Or that could be a hoedown or something. Really, the idea of the verb there, it kind of weakens the idea. The, the idea of it is they're encircling him. It's like just, I mean, if you were a kid on a playground and the bullies came up and they all come and gathered around you, that's what's happening. These are the theological kind of spiritual bullies and they're kind of cornering him. They're kind of coming in and they're saying, look, just say it. Just tell us plainly. Now, they have a different kind of a, of a, of a motive here. Um, in fact, are you the Christ is absolutely the most dead-on right question that these kind of spiritual thugs could have asked. It was the right question. It's, it's the right question for you and I. If you were sitting in this room this morning and you're somewhat hazy or somewhat foggy on whether Jesus is in fact the Christ and you haven't quite put that puzzle piece together, that is the question. I don't know if you have discovered this and I'm preaching to the choir here because you're all in church on a Sunday morning. So I'm, so I'm not thinking about the folks sitting in this room. But have you ever noticed that people have precious little time to talk about their eternal destiny? 
They just do. When you want to sit down and talk about some of these kinds of things. Now, I know some of it's just uncomfortable, you know, and just going, whoa, look at the time. That sock drawer needs rearranging. You know, I'm, I've got to go. I've just got some appointments, got to get moving. And people just don't want to talk about it. People don't budget into their week often. Time to sit down and just think, I need to figure this thing out. Part of my mom's conversion story, I prayed for my mom every day of my life that I gathered that she wasn't a Christian and, and I wanted her to be. And I just started pouring my heart out to God as a little kid. I said, I really want my mom in heaven for eternity. And I prayed that way for more than a decade. And my mom came to me one day and it was such a just watershed moment. She was doing really, really well in life. And my mom is gregarious and successful. And frankly, I was just wondering if she'd ever realize her need for God that way. And one day she came to me or called me up. Or no, we had lunch. That's what it was. And she said, Dave, I want you to know I'm going on a search to find out if God is real. And I just was so excited. Because I know that those who earnestly seek for God will find him. And I just started claiming that promise. And I said, I said, Mom, would you do me a favor? And she, she just prepped me. I think I was probably in Bible college at the time. Maybe I was a pastor by then. I can't remember. But she said, I want to prep you that I may not come to the same conclusions as you. And I said, I'm fine with that. I wasn't scared of questions. The truth just rises to the surface. And I was fine with that. I said, would you just do me the honor of starting with this book? Because there's a lot of books claiming to point the way to life. There are a lot of quote-unquote signs that are out there. How do you know which way to follow? She did me the honor of doing that, and it wasn't long after, really through the miracle of just the Holy Spirit and the Bible, that she called me up and said, Dave, I'm saved. I said, whoa, what does that mean? And she laid out the gospel for me. And a few weeks later, I went to her baptism, and I just it was unbelievable to watch God transform her life. But how neat it was that all of a sudden, through no radical change in the setting, she suddenly had time to search out this question. Jesus, are you the Christ? And that's a huge moment for people. Here's the problem. You can ask that question with the wrong motive. Here are these guys coming around saying, tell us plainly, are you the Christ? Right question, wrong motive. Right? They came really with a a mindset that was already made up. Why are the leaders mad? This is kind of review already. But what, why are the, 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 the leaders mad? Is because, first of all, they're worried about the signs. In John chapter 11, we're going to see them saying, look, we've got to rope this guy in. If this guy keeps at it, the whole world's going to follow after him. And they're just in, a, they're in an upheaval. They're having meetings. They're calling special attention to it. We've got to figure this out. So they're, they're really unnerved by these signs. They're visible. They see them. They don't know what to do with them. They know beyond the shadow of a doubt, he's not from God. And yet there's these signs we have to deal with. That's a problem. They're also mad because they're flat out jealous. He's getting a a following. He also is able to speak to things on the spot, and it's blowing apart their wisdom. They're also upset because his whole idea of bottom first and the common people and everything, that was upsetting their apple cart. They were at the top. They were the ones kind of in control and in power, and they ushered out the rules. They said who was in, who was out. They, in essence, were little gods on earth. And Jesus comes along and just turns all of that upside down with words like this. Whoever wants to be the greatest among you should become the least. I didn't come to serve but to be served. They're also incredibly angry because of Jesus' public exposure of their hypocrisy. He would just say things. I mean, this is an inflammatory thing that that he says here, but he would just say things that would anger them because it was truthful. And remember, men and women love the dark. And they don't want to be exposed. They don't want to bring it into the light and have it shown. And if they're not doing it willingly, to have someone else come along and expose it for them is really unnerving. But most of all, those are, those are a lot of good reasons to be really ticked off if you're a Pharisee, right? Most of all, here's what it was, though. It was this unabashed claim to be God. 
Jesus says very plainly here. He says, I told you plainly. I didn't write the scriptures down, but I went and read about four times already that he said quite plainly, I am God. Here's the other thing that you just need to, to get is when, when, when they infer, you know, you're, you're saying you're God. Later on, we're going to read that. He doesn't correct them and say, whoa, 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 whoa. I never said that. He lets that. He lets that linger because that's in fact what he claimed. There are those who would diminish the role of Jesus to a good moral teacher. All of that is nonsense. You cannot be a Bible reader and think it's credible and come to a conclusion that he was a good moral teacher. That the Bible doesn't allow you that option. Because he would be deceiving someone. That's like someone, one of you guys saying, hey, you're the president. And I go... Whatever. I mean, if I started acting presidential, if I didn't call you on it, then, then that's being deceptive, right? So here's Jesus being, being challenged with that. He doesn't offer correction. Beyond that, he says it very plainly, as we're going to see in the scriptures here. Believing in Jesus means believing like Jesus. What are some of the things Jesus believed? Just as we read this passage, he believed that what happens in this world will ring for eternity. That the decisions and the choices we make here last for forever. And that this wasn't all there is. You know how I know that? If he was living for this world, he played his cards all wrong. His brothers earlier in the book said, Hey, any public figure doesn't avoid major festivals. Go to the festival. They were saying it mockingly, saying, Come on, get out there, be a public figure. If he was living just for this world, he would have played things totally differently. Clearly he was from another kingdom. He also believed that status and comfort and ease weren't worth dominating his attention. They, they, they just weren't. When a confrontation arose, you'll notice a couple of things. One is that it was over this critical question of whether he was the Christ or not. Instead of backing off and saying, well, you just kind of believe what you want to believe and I'll believe what I want to believe. That's what I do sometimes. I feel that temptation all the time. Someone says something that's flat out wrong, and I go, okay, and the Holy Spirit just prompts me, that's wrong. Stand up for that. And we go, well, you know what? We're going to argument, disagreement. Okay, fine. You just believe what you want to believe. You know what that is? That's kind of just a cop-out. Jesus wasn't a cop-out. Jesus just laid it out there and wouldn't walk away from it. Jesus believed that opposition was to be dealt with and not avoided. Some of us in this room, I know, confrontation and opposition are what you live your life to avoid. And it's kind of a path of least least resistance. And there's all kinds of reasons for this. And just thinking about things like, and I so hate rejection. I hate it when people reject me. That, That we begin to pattern ourselves in such a way that we go, you know what, that's getting a little uncomfortable. Let's just not, let's just not even go there. Let's talk about something else. Let's just kind of entertain ourselves over here. The problem is, is when that starts to allow for masks to be put on, where we're not really even who we say we are. I'm meeting with a couple right now for some premarital counseling. And uh, we're going to meet for six sessions before they get married. They're planning on getting married this summer. But our first session, I just told them, I said, you know what? The number of people who seek out counsel the way you guys are doing is surprisingly low. The number of people who enter marriage without doing this and the divorce rate that follows is not surprisingly high. And I told them, I said, I want you to know I love you both. Becky and I love you both. We do this in our home together. And we just say, we love you so much that we're going to pry and prod and push at times. It will be great. You'll love it. It'll be a lot of fun. But it will also be uncomfortable at times. And we love you way too much to just go, yeah, we don't think they're going to make it, but that's kind of awkward to tell them. Let's just, good luck. You know? I mean, I, and I just said, you know, when I'm standing in front of a group of people, I don't care about the people. I don't really care about you as much as I care and fear God. And I just go, you're entering into a covenant relationship before God. And I take that incredibly seriously if I'm going to be a part of tying that knot. I want it tight. And so we're going to meet and we're going to talk and I'm going to be really honest with you. And I'm going to do it prayerfully and hopefully with your best interest in mind. That's getting real. And that's saying, couple, find this out now. 
Don't discover that on your honeymoon. Don't discover that eight months later and go, holy smokes, who's this guy I married? That's, that's a bummer time to find out. But it's because I know something's wrong. I know we need to talk on this, but that's confrontation. I just don't want that. Listen to what Luke 640 says. A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. You know what that means? That, that as you and I grow, watch what happens to Jesus. His life continually seemed to ramp up, and there was confrontation as a part of it. Now, let me just say what I'm not saying here. I'll let you know what I'm not saying. I, I haven't heard this message, but I, I heard of a sermon series title that just made me crack up. The, 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 the series title was, Jesus Loves Me, But Everyone Else Thinks I'm a Jerk. <laughs> I thought, man, that'd be a fun sermon series to, to listen to. And so the, the goal here isn't this. And sometimes as, as Christians, we've done this for too long. We kind of walk in with little like, you know, gospel grenades, and there's a giant wall between us and our neighbors. And when we have the opportunity, we're like, you know, God loves you, and you're going to hell if you don't turn, you know, and you're just like, woo, but you're behind the wall. You're safe and sound. And they just go, thank you, you know, and you're like, just trying to love my neighbor. And there's no relationship. Sometimes it's just the the person who's obnoxious with their truth and just shoves it out. Instead of being salt and light, it's salt like loosen the salt shaker and dump that on your steak. Does that add flavor? No, that's disgusting. And you just, you, you're repelled by that. Instead of light, you know, that would illuminate and draw people and warm people. It's just going to the person who's been asleep their whole life and their eyes aren't used to the light and you just blast them with a spotlight. And they're like, get out of my face. And you're like, no, you need this. <laughs> and you wonder, you just go, man, everyone else thinks I'm such a jerk. You know what? Maybe there's room to grow there. The end goal isn't to have confrontation. In fact, you don't need to go look for it. Some, probably a minority here, need to be confronted about not being so confrontational. But I would say a vast majority of people might be more in this camp. They'd say, man, when was the last time my pulse quickened and my breath got a little bit short and I got kind of nervous and I felt a little bit of a twist in my stomach because I knew it was the right thing to stand up and say this thing. I knew I would receive ridicule. I knew I would receive rejection. I knew I would re receive these kind of scornful looks. I knew I'd receive rolling eyes from my family member. I knew I'd be called a Jesus freak. On and on it goes. But you did it because you love your Savior and you love them. If that's never, ever happened and you believe in Jesus, I would just point you back to Luke 640. Every student, when he's fully trained, will be like his master. 2 Timothy 3.16, um, I may have the reference wrong, but all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Following Jesus includes confrontation. It's just there. Here's what Jesus' mission was, was to save the world. Save the world from what? Here's what Jesus was saving the world from. From sin, from death, from penalty, from punishment, from right payment of sin on the person. But he didn't just save the world from things. He saved us as his sheep to life and freedom and hope and reward and relational harmony, victory, purpose. We could go on and on. We've been saved from things. We're saved to new life. Here's why I bring that up. is That, that was Jesus' mission in the world. And you know what? When you start talking about these types of topics, you just get shot at. You just do. Because people don't like change. People don't like to be called out in their sin, no matter how gently or lovingly you do it. Who are you to tell me that? Oh, you're so perfect. I mean, you just watch. Just try me on this. Sit down at the next, you know, lunch break meeting. Say, hey, I'd like to talk about the word redemption for a moment. And just start talking about some of this stuff. Do it in a winsome way. Do it in a loving way. People will reject this. People hate the light. 
and it, and confrontation is a part of it. Here's my question for you, just kind of a challenge question. We'll move on to confirmation. What things right now lead to confrontation in your life? What is it as you take a confrontation inventory this last week? Maybe, maybe high on the list is when your will is not done. It has nothing to do with God's will being done or not. That's not high on your list. Maybe it's your will being done or not. And that leads to confrontation. Maybe when your comfort or ease or security or your will is, is, is adjusted, that's what leads to confrontation. How about this? I've thought about this a lot for my own life. Just saying, God, you've called me, you've called each one of your children to make your name great, to ascribe worth to your name, to show off you. How many times do I want to be shown off? I want to show off me. I want to show off how I can do something. And sometimes confrontation leads to this, your name being defamed in some way, shape, or form. Someone comes and maligns your character. Someone comes and ruins a reputation. Someone comes and smears a lie about you. How quickly are we to get up in arms about that? I've got to settle this straight. I've got to write an email. I've got to get after this person. How about when the name of Jesus is maligned? How quick are we to just get up in arms and set things straight when Jesus' name is maligned and defamed and brought down through the mud? Or do we ever confront when that happens? Do we feel it in our spirit but go, well, who am I to say anything? Just a question for all of us. Following Jesus involves confrontation. It also involves confirmation. The question is this, am I saved? Am I part of the flock of Jesus or not? And I'll tell you, a lot of people today, if you stand up on a street corner and say, I know the way to God. I know the way to eternal life. They would say, sit down. How audacious and arrogant of a comment is that? And Jesus got the same exact response. In fact, he was trying to correct people who were veering off course. Probably sincere seekers, sincere lovers of God that were being led astray. And Jesus gets up and says, I'm the way. Second Peter 1.10, I put it in your notes because I want you to get this. Can I know for sure that I'm saved? Is that even what God has for me? Or is there, a, is there supposed to be some ambiguity here? We all kind of play our cards and hope at the end times we pick the right team. Listen to this passage in 2 Peter. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. This whole idea of growing in the knowledge of Christ, growing in our walk with Christ, walking with Him, ought to be this this root that's just going more and more down into the earth that firmly plants us and we go, we know that we know that we know that Jesus is the Christ and that I'm secure in Him. And when someone comes to you and says, but how do you know? You ought to be ready to give an answer for that. And year one as a Christian ought to be a certain kind of an answer. Year five as a Christian ought to be a different kind of an answer. And year 25 ought to be a totally different kind of an answer. Year 25 ought to be, man, does the sun come up tomorrow? Every day of my life, God's been right there with me. But it's so much more than experience. Let's dive into this. Let's look at these signs that point to this Jesus being the Christ. There are so many great apologetics books. Apologetics is just a defense for the faith. Two really simple ones written by a guy named Paul Little are know what you believe and know why you believe. And they just take in little tiny snapshot chapters. How do you know the Bible is the inspired word of God? How do you know Jesus was really God? How do you know there's a heaven and hell? How do you know that you're saved? Make your calling and election sure. And be eager to do it. That might mean carving out time this week even. How can you know you follow the signs? Listen to uh, verse 27. Just follow along as I read. 27, he says this, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hands, hand. And I and the Father are one. 
Here's part of what comes with believing in Christ. Here's what, here's what, here's what comes with this. If you signed a card, if you prayed a prayer, and never again in your spirit did anything click, I would venture to say you're not saved. The whole book of 1 John talks about this interchange between obedience and, and love for others almost, almost interchangeably. Like if you're not loving people, if you're not obeying, there's been no change. The fruit of the Spirit from Galatians ought to be growing in your life, ought to be evident in your life. And what's so thrilling, I look around here and I just go, work of God in your life, work of God in your life. I've been with you on the front lines. I've seen you in action. There's no way you were born that good, that noble, that patient, that compassionate, that caring. That's God at work in your life. That's so exciting. Hold to that. Cling to that. There ought to be confirmation that that goes on. I want to just very quickly give you seven realities that's true for every true Christian. And I put the word true Christian because Christian's a very convoluted term, isn't it? I'm an American. Oh, you're a Christian. Uh, no. Very, very different. Let's talk. That's what a lot of international students that I talk with think. That's just not true, is it? Christianity isn't all about Baywatch, the Super Bowl, presidential elections, and, you know, gangs or whatever. It's like that's kind of the perception that they're getting over in India or whatever. And they go, yeah, you're an American, you're a Christian. No, 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 Let's separate those two. Let's talk about what a true Christian is. Jesus talks about sheep. He didn't seem to have many qualms saying, you are not my sheep. That's pretty rude. That's pretty anti-politically correct. He just called them out, laid it out as it is. From this passage, just a couple of things, seven things, realities that are true for every Christian. Here it is. We are his sheep. And that's a really simple statement, but here's what's great about that. If he called you to be his sheep, if he called you into his sheepfold, and even one of us gets lost out of that sheepfold and is no longer a sheep, that calls into question the character of the shepherd. It calls into his ability to shepherd says here also, number two, that we follow his voice. Remember verse five from last week that we won't follow a stranger's voice. We won't follow after someone who's not there. I love hearing stories in this room from people here, a part of this church, that just say, I can't really even explain it, but I was reading the scriptures. And then two months later, you said this. And then three months later, I was praying. And God is speaking to me, Dave. And I just, I had to go do this. And I go right on. That's you hearing the voice of God. Follow hard after it. Have you ever dreamt this up before? No, that's what's so crazy about it. And you just go, praise God, like fall on your knees and worship. That's really amazing. God's not only speaking to you, but you're hearing and following after him. The sheep hear his voice. That's true for every Christian. You hear his voice, know that that can be confirmation. Number three is that we've been given eternal life. To say that you're given eternal life and then it's taken away seems a contradiction to me. It contradicts the idea of eternal life. If you had it, but oops, now it's gone and it's taken from you. Fourthly is this. True for every Christian is that this life is given. That's the whole doctrine of grace. And so if it's given in the first place, it's confirming to know that there's nothing we can do that can ungive it. We didn't do anything to deserve it in the first place. We can't do something to have it removed from us. What I just want to instill in us as a culture here in this church is this. Let's not keep prodding one another on to love and good deeds. Let's do that. It says spur one another on. That's painful sometimes. That's sharp. That's like, let's get on this. But let's never let it lead to something that says we're earning our salvation. Or if we don't do this, if you don't show up at church you're somehow going to fall out of God's love. Remember Romans 8? We looked at this last week, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not even our wavering doubt once in a while. Not our non-gold star attendance at church. Number 6 in verse 28, it says, they'll never perish. These sheep of mine will never perish. You can be secure in Christ, knowing that He wouldn't say this if it was possible for one of his sheep to then perish, meaning spiritually, because that would make him out to be a liar. 
And Jesus doesn't lie. And then he gives two kind of closing things. This is like two signatures on a bank check or something. He says, you know what? No one can snatch them out of my hand. I'm the good shepherd. We've already covered this in John 10. But then he appeals to something different. He appeals to God the Father. He says, just in case you missed it with me, no one can snatch. No one's powerful enough. No false teacher is powerful enough. No Satan or enemy of God is powerful enough to snatch one of these from my hand. Colossians 3.3 says that your life is hidden with Christ in God. I want us to obey. I want us to live our life from this, from this picture of being totally convinced that we're God's. Totally convinced that what's happening to me right now, today, God has me in his strong right hand. And you know what a witness that will be when you march through life confident in your heavenly father? And your neighbors look at you and go, you are a freak. You should be panicking right now. And you're like, I know. Let me show you Philippians where it says, be anxious for nothing. And the peace of God is going to guard your heart and mind. That's what's happening right now. I just give testimony to what God's doing in my life. That's so confirming for you personally, but to your neighbors. It's just like, wow, I need to check out what's going on. What difference would it make in your life if you and I know that we know that we know that we're the sheep of God? Doesn't that give you reason to celebrate today? gives you reason to come to communion and just go, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's how I want us to live. Wrap up with this, the idea of caring. Look at verse 31. Verse 31, it says, again, Jews picked up stones to stone him. He just said, I and the Father are one. They didn't like that very much. Verse 32 says, but Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these are you stoning me? We're not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. We're out of time this morning, so I'm not going to read the rest of that. I want you to read the rest of this passage before the day ends. But here's what I want to point out with this. Jesus, even when he was being (laughs) assaulted... Not just verbally, but I mean, things are really getting tense here. And if you've ever been around just a fight, I mean, you just feel that in the air and you're like, whoa, someone's about ready to do something here. I hope no one brought any weapons right now because I'm unarmed and and, uh, this is getting really crazy. And then someone throws like a first punch and you're like, here we go. Well, I mean, it's like they're reaching for rocks. I mean, that's this, this, this fever pitch that's going on. And you get this sense that Jesus calmly does this. He calmly takes them instead of just, I mean, he's got all power at his fingertips. But he kind of calmly forces their attention back on the undeniable, public, tangible signs. The evidence. He's lovingly taking these people who are about ready to kill him and saying, I just wanted to ask, which one of the signs are you killing me for? There's a blind man that's in our midst. Remember him? I mean, he could, just, he could just start to rattle off. He's got a perfect memory. He could say everything he did. By the way, there's like 27 you guys didn't even see. Let me just tell about really quick. And I could call every one of these people up. And again, remember the, the Pharisees are unnerved by this because there's something to these signs. And Jesus is bringing their attention to force them to deal with the evidence. You know what that is? That's care. He doesn't view them as enemies. They're not the enemy even. They're the opposition right now. But I wonder in you and I that when things get heated, if people start to attack us, if I feel, I'll tell you my natural defense, my flesh is, I'm going to defend myself. Let's go. Let's talk about this. And instead saying, man, I don't want to win this argument. That's not what this is about. I want to have compassion on you because you're lost. And Lord, give me the words right now to say that that we'll just keep it focused on you that won't be me winning out over them, that won't be me putting them in their place, that won't be me whatever. Later on, at the very end of the passage, he returns back to this place where John the Baptist has been baptizing, and it says all these people came to him. I wonder if you and I just live lives where 
people just come to us because they know we're good to be around. They know they'll be cared for when they're in our midst. I hope our homes, just sprinkled throughout this valley, are homes that the, that the neighborhood just goes, man, there's something about that home that's totally safe for my kids. You want to go spend time there? Absolutely. Go for it. That's a good home. Jesus cared for people. Here's what I want to encourage you with as we leave. Uh, band, why don't you come on up? We're going to close in, in just one song, and Clink's going to pray for our offering. I've got a bunch of questions at the bottom that, that all of you can, can just go ahead and read on your own time, and as a community group, you can go through these. But what's so exciting about all of these is that those who believe in Christ, those who are growing into likeness of their master as disciples, are able to look at these kinds of areas and just see them coming out. Man, I was never a confrontational person, but you know what? As I've, as I've just calmly, steadily live my life in the light, I realized people were taking shots at me that never took shots at me before. I always thought that was some weird trial and it was a bizarre thing and I must be doing something wrong. I'm realizing that's just being like Jesus. I'm realizing that to say Jesus is the only way and everything else is a false religion that will lead you to death is really confrontational and really offensive. And I'm also realizing there's this confirmation going on in my soul that I know that Jesus is my Savior. I'm hearing His voice. I'm following. I'm not following these whims and opinions that used to matter so much to me. And finally, I'm growing in care. I'm viewing people in my family who ridicule me and just dig so deep with their hurtful words. And I don't even care about that anymore. I just go, time is short. And I so want you to know who Jesus Christ is. I'm going to totally overlook that jab, even though my old self would have reacted. Because I just want you in the family. Please repent. Please turn to Jesus. Even more exciting is when not only you do that individually, but as a collective group of people in a community group. That someone says in that group, man, there's something going on in you. I remember six months ago, you were scared to death to talk to your neighbor. And now you went and did what? That is awesome. That's just growing in you. Or, a, or a, a community group that says, man, we see this in our own life. Our care quotient is going through the, through the roof. We're sick of just meeting and studying the Bible. We want to just get out there and care for people and meet needs. Those are the kinds of things that I'm praying for, that we're praying for, and that are already going on. This fervent love, this urgency And this is all a part of what it means to be a believer in Christ. It's more than a card. It's more than a prayer. It's more than coming once an hour on Sunday. It's all of this and more. Let's pray and then we're just going to close with a song. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you, God, that we are able to see your heart and see your character and see the nature of who you are in the pages of Scripture. God, I thank you in my own life, just the, the power it is to read a passage and have chills go through my spine to see, yes, that's so true. And the way that your spirit interacts with my spirit to confirm and put at rest and distinguish or extinguish the arrows of accusation that threaten to get me off track. I pray for each precious person in this room, every precious child that's a gift to us a few feet away. God, that we would humbly and yet securely walk in you this week. That we'd be growing. That, Lord, you would make instruments of us in this room even in areas we would never in a million years have dreamed to be used by you. God, just now as we continue worshiping you, not just through communion, not through the opening and hearing from your word, but also in offering and giving of our money, we want this to be a sign to you, Lord, a tangible sign 
It's all yours. We don't claim anything for ourselves. We don't scrape our pile and say, this is mine. But we say we lay it all down for the cause. And I thank you, God, and I praise you for the generosity of this body. Help us not to waver in that, but to continue firm and strong in that, Lord. And we'll look for reward from you, not necessarily in money. But we know that you bless us, God, when we mimic your heart in giving. Help us to remember who we're singing to now. In Jesus' name, amen.